This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. If you would please turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 12. I'm continuing this conversation that I started last week called All In. We talked about the term all in and how it's had uh, different terminologies, different definitions over time. How when somebody goes all in, we know that in a, a poker hand or a situation like that, that if, if it gets to a point you push all of your chips in or whatever, you're at a place where you're either willing to risk it all, you're confident in what you have and you're willing to risk it all, or you're to the point that you're like, all right, I'm just done. Right, And so we've talked about that goes beyond something as a, of a card game, and it goes into life. And it's to the point where uh, in our homes or in our jobs and our families, uh, we, we get to a place where we have to give it all. We get to a place where we're supposed to give it all. We go all in. I told you that when you got married, whether you realized it or not, you went all in. And hopefully by now you are all in, and you realize that that was a decision that you made. So... We're continuing that, and we're looking at this uh, passage of Scripture where Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? What is it, Jesus, that if you could sum up everything, what would it really be? And what's taking place is the, the scribes, the lawmakers, are trying to weigh out the different laws. There's over 600 different laws that were written, and, and the majority of them were good that, rather than bad. Over 300 and some were good. And then there was like 200 and some odd number that uh, were more of a negative. And I, what I mean by good and bad, I mean you do this, you worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that would be good. Bad would mean don't go kill anybody. You with me? So they're weighing them out, and the, the scribes and the religious people, the people that were writing the law, the, they were trying to like rank the order of the laws and the rules. Which of these are more weighty than others? <coughs> Which of these are more important Jesus? And so a guy comes to Jesus, and it's believed that he really wasn't asking. Jesus had just been, uh, been questioned, and they were trying to trip him up, and they were waiting on him to fail. And this guy comes up, and he's still got that same mindset just a little, but I believe there's some sincerity in what he wants to know. He says, Jesus... Which is the most important? Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says that one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And in verse 29, Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no one other but he. 
and to love him with all the heart, with all understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared to question him. I told you last week that Jesus has taken two different Old Testament uh, scriptures, two different Old Testament statements, and he's pieced them together to answer this question. He took the Shema that was out of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4 and uh, out, of, out of chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and he's pieced that with a passage out of Leviticus chapter 19. Many times we see Jesus answer questions and give statements by putting one or more different statements from the Old Testament together to reform and to make this new statement. And so that's what he's done here. He's pulled the Shema, which was a, a creed that the Jewish people would recite at least two times a day. They would recite, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord, O God, the Lord is one. And they would say, the love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Leviticus, he says, um, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. So Jesus had pulled these, he's pulled these two statements together to make this one answer of this is the greatest commandment, but it's not only greatest, but the second one is equally as important that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's where we're kind of headed. Last week, I told you about the heart. We discussed the heart the heart of the matter. And I told you that in many different situations, the Bible talks about the heart as being the inner man, being the place where decisions were made, being the place where the feelings started. But we really can't look at the heart in that context in this verse of Scripture because Jesus lists the heart, then the soul, then the mind, and then strength. So all throughout the Bible, the heart would have summed up all of those together. So if that's what he meant, why didn't he just say, love the Lord your God with all your heart? There's more to it than that. And so we looked at the idea that the heart is sincerity. We can love Jesus and we can say we love him and we can do what we think is right and we can worship the Lord. You can love other people, but if you're not doing it with a sincere person, with a sincere heart, then it's useless. Right? I told you that I can love Micah. I can do an act for her if I do the laundry just so that she don't bark down my back, which she doesn't bark down my back. Just stay with me for the example. If I do the laundry so that she doesn't fuss at me or that she doesn't get mad, rather than doing it just as an act of service for her, I did the laundry regardless, but I did not do it with a sincere heart of love for her, right? So I can stand and I can lift my hands and worship and I can put on a show and I can look like I'm worshiping the Lord. But if I'm not doing it with a sincere heart, then my worship is pointless. I can spend time in prayer and I can develop a prayer life looking for something from God, asking something from God every time I bow my head. God, I need this. I need this. I want this. I want this. Whatever it is. But if my prayer life is not just a simple conversation between me and the Lord, giving him the reverence, the worship, and the honor he deserves, then my prayer life is not sincere. Right? So Jesus starts off with the idea, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all sincerity. And then he goes on and he says, and love him with all your soul. 
He gives three different breakdowns, and I believe we can look at each one of those as a different part that make up who we are. We can look at the soul as our emotional being. You and I are emotional people, right? Even if you don't think you're an emotional person, you're an emotional person. We have emotions. We have emotions that are good. Maybe you're happy all the time. If so, great. You're still emotional. You're emotionally happy. If you're up and down and you ride an emotional roller coaster, you're still emotional. And then he goes to the mind, and the mind would be our intellectual being, the, the person, the part of us that thinks, our mind, the, the brain that puts together thought processes, our head. My biggest challenge most of the time is keeping my head straight. More times than not, I can keep my emotions in check, but I have a really hard time keeping the, the thoughts pure in my mind. And I don't mean uh, immoral. I'm talking about keeping me on point, realizing I am who God says I am. I've been created to do what I've been created to do. I've been called and, and appointed according to his purpose. I know those things most of the time in my heart, but keeping them in my head and keeping the enemy out so that I can stay focused to get done what needs to be done is a struggle. You with me? Even this morning, standing right here, I said, Lord, this has got to go. Devil, you got to get out of my head. This temple, you have no place here. You've got to flee. My brain's got to stay. My mind, my thoughts have got to stay clear so that I can remain focused to get done what needs to be done. So we've got the emotional being, the soul. We've got the intellectual being, the mind. And then we have the physical being, the strength. And I think it's important to see that Jesus summed this up in, in threes and I believe wholeheartedly he looked at each one of those because the, the three of those different beings, the three of those different parts make up the one of who we are. We have the, the emotional, the intellectual, and the physical. Tied in with all of those is our spiritual being and who the spirit man says that lives within us. But I think it's interesting that Jesus uses that and he gives those, those three different characteristics to, to pull us all together because we're designed in the image of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to make one triune God. So we look at the emotional side of us. Some of us are more emotional than others, right? Some of us have more emotional times than others, right? There's a drastic difference between males and females. And it really doesn't have anything to do with, about, with, a, with a specific cycle and specific time of the month because men, I believe wholeheartedly that you and I have those seasons too. Right? I can probably go back and pinpoint on a calendar when I've been in a bad mood and when I've struggled myself. So it's not right to point fingers. We can't do that. But we're all emotional. We're all emotional in different ways. We all express our emotions in totally different ways. Some of us, when we're in this crunch and we feel like our life is in a vice and it's being pressed down and we're, we're under pressure, some of us explode and we go off the handle on everybody. 
Some of us withdraw. And if it were up to us, we'd go crawl in a cave and we would wait for life to pass by and leave us sitting right there. Some of us won't say anything to anybody and some of us want to tell everybody. Right? All of us deal with our emotions differently, but we're all emotional. Jesus was emotional. Being emotional don't have to be bad. Don't judge Jesus. But he was emotional. When Lazarus died, the Bible said that Jesus what? He wept. Whether he wept out of hurt or whether he wept out of anger because the mourners were standing around and had already put him in the ground, basically, that really doesn't matter. The point is, he was emotional enough to weep. He was moved. He was deeply moved by the situation. The Bible talks about Jesus being moved with compassion. When he walked up in the temple and people were trading off their sacrifices and you could go in and and buy the the sacrifice so you didn't have to kill your own animal, but there's a, a farm of sacrifices off somewhere in the field and they just bring them in so you can buy the animal to sacrifice for, for your sin. Jesus was angry to the point that he cleansed the temple. He cleaned it. He went in, turned over the tables. He drove the people out of the place of worship. He was emotional, right? So it only makes sense that you and I would be emotional. How do we deal with the emotional side? The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. We're emotional. The Bible tells us we're going to be emotional. There's a time when my emotions are going to lead me to laugh. There's a time when my emotions are going to lead me to cry. There's a time when I'm going to have both at the exact same time, and it's not going to make any sense. We're emotional. If we're not careful, though, our emotions become a problem, and they overwhelm us and overcome us. If we're not careful... The angry that is with the, the anger that's within us over a situation turns into bitterness. And bitterness plants a seed where good things should be growing. Bitterness is now growing, and bitterness, the weeds are taking over the good place of our heart. I believe that you can be so happy, not full of joy. But you can be so happy that the emotion of happiness can overrun you so that you can't sit back and soak in the real matters of life sometimes. We can easily be controlled, overwhelmed, and overcome by our emotions. The enemy wants nothing any more than to distract us. See, I've learned in my life, the Bible tells us, Jesus said, the enemy's come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've learned for many times for me, that's not necessarily visible destruction. There's been days, I told you about a really bad day where everything I touched fell apart. and There's been days that it felt like destruction. But more times than not, it's not like that. 
It's not like I can walk in my house and find something that's missing because the enemy's come and stole something from me. Personally, for my life, it's not like I can really walk around and find that somebody is missing because the enemy has taken something from me. The way that the enemy typically works on me, and I don't mind telling you, he needs to know that I know because there's a strategy for me to this. If you don't know how the enemy battles you, you need to figure it out. Because if you don't know how he's going to come against you, how can you defend yourself against that? Sure, God is my defender. He's my refuge. He's my source of strength. But i got to have a little bit of sense to know I can't deal with this. I know when this is coming, so I know real, real strong how to lean on God. If you don't know how you're being battled, you need to figure that out. In my life, the enemy just tries to distract. And I've learned that stealing, killing, and destroying me is a simple distraction. Because if the enemy can get my attention focused away from God, away from my worship, away from my praise, everything else falls under that, by the way. My love for people, my love for the church, my ministry, my love for the Word, all flows under my heart of worship for the Father. You with me? If we don't have those things, and we really don't understand why we can't love people the way God loves you and me, if I can't dig into the Word, if I can't get revelation, if I, I can't support the church, maybe I need to go back and check, what does my worship look like? I'm not talking about standing here on a Sunday morning with my hands raised. That's the after effect. That's the result of what the worship is like all throughout the week within me. Coming in the house, worshiping the Lord is easy when I've done it all week. If the enemy can distract me, and he does it in my head, if he can put something in my life, if he can put something in my way, doesn't have to be bad. All it's got to do is turn my focus. All it's got to be is something that pulls my energy away from the worship of God, and it's something that I put just a little bit above that priority of worship. Now my attention is no longer focused on the praise and the worship, God, that the thanksgiving that I have for the Father of His goodness and His grace and His mercy, the kindness of who He is, but there's something just a little bit above Him that my focus is, is fixed on. If He can distract me, He's got me. He don't have to kill me. He don't have to kill my family. He don't have to take anything from me in order to succeed in moving me out of the will of God. All he has to do is distract me. That's the way the enemy works in my life. Whether I'm overwhelmed, whether I'm excited and there's something that I get on my mind that I can't get off my mind. For instance, you see that I drive a Jeep. For 10 years, I have battled with an infatuation. Micah hates it with Jeeps. And several times have, have gotten to the place where I realize, Mitchell, you're wrong, son. 
Your mind is more focused on this and it's more fixed on this than what God wants for you and what he has for you. You spent more time reading and experimenting and researching on all this other junk than you have in the word of God. And then it becomes real. And I step back and get to that place and I refocus. Ten years later, the Lord has honored the desire of my heart. And I get to drive a Jeep for a little while. But it's not been an easy journey. And you think I'm crazy, but I'm, it's been a spiritual battle. Because I'm so easily distracted. I get distracted in ministry. Doing what's good. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Knowing that we're following the will of the Lord is just a matter of how hard we're following and how fast we're walking on the steps that he's put before us. And I've been laser focused to the point that I simply got distracted. My journey, I told you about when I, I was in Georgia and I was, I was distracted. Distraction is what caused my fall. Distraction is what caused me to lose my focus and lose my devotion. distraction I don't know what it is for you maybe it takes the devil slapping you in the face to bring you off your high horse good for you it doesn't take that for me all it has to be is somewhere to put my attention and my focus over the father so how do we keep our focus how do we focus that emotion how do we channel that emotion? Jesus said, be angry, but don't sin. Therefore, he gave me permission to be emotional. He even gave me permission to be emotional in a way that it's an emotion that you and I so many times link negativity to. He said, be angry, but don't sin. He said, don't let the sun go down on your anger so that you give opportunity to the enemy. If you stay angry long enough, if you stay down in the mully grubs long enough, if you let yourself think bad enough about yourself long enough, you give an opportunity and there's an open door for the enemy to walk right in. We're emotional people. There's no way around that. I believe we were created to be emotional beings. We're created in the image of God and God's moved by compassion. God was angry at different times throughout history when the people of God were so messed up and they were worshiping other gods and other idols. We see an angry, we see an emotional God. But he's got his emotions in check. So how do we focus? And how do we maintain focus? So that our emotions don't overwhelm. It's through our worship. Paul said it like this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
The writer of Proverbs said, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. That sounds simple. As a matter of focus, if I look straight ahead, I don't get distracted by the things that are beside me. I don't think it's that simple, and I think the writer knows this. This is a very, very wise man. But if I set my sights on God and I'm not distracted by the things of life that are around me, I can't help but remain focused. I can deal with some emotions. I can deal with frustration and anger, but I'm focused on what the Lord wants. And then Matthew said, recorded Jesus saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm consumed by who he is. Even when I don't feel like it, my emotions are in check. When I'm really angry, And I'm overwhelmed by the hurt and the frustration that's caused my anger. If I worship the Lord, my emotions come back in check. When I'm happy, when I'm overrun with smiles, So many times I wish God had created me to have that natural smile like Pastor Jonathan has all the time. That's not me. More times than not, I got a serious face that you don't know how to read. (laughs) The leadership says yes. It's not that I'm not happy. But when I'm at that place, and I could just go through life walking on clouds, when I worship the Father, it brings me back down to reality to realize who I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a mere mortal man created by an amazing Father that created everything around me. That emotion comes back in check. I can then be full of joy, which would create happiness. But my emotion comes back in check. We can play something soft for me, please. I'm wrapping this up. Paul said it like this. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all. He's done. I believe that's a passage of Scripture that you and I know and we love. Not if you're a worrier, because that's one directly against your personality. But he said, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. You 
got to realize the stance and the place that you're at in this process. If I look at you and you tell me I need God to do this, and I get to stand and be Paul and I say, don't worry, pray about everything, worry about nothing, tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. You're still standing there without what it is you told me you needed. Right? Pray about everything, worry about nothing, tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He's done. I see a person that's struggling emotionally. You got a financial need. Unless you're just some real stonewall person, it's going to mess with your emotions. Even if you're a stonewall person, that stonewall mentality is your way of dealing with it. That's your emotion. Right? And to you standing with a financial need, Paul says, pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. But he's not provided the need yet. I stand here as an emotional person in a financial need with, with a burden on my heart. I need this, God. I'm struggling. I need you to do something for me. And Paul says, thank him for all he's done. I promise. I don't care what the need is. If your worship, your heart of thanksgiving will turn to God and you thank him for all he's done, your emotion will instantly come into check. Your heart of worship will put you back into a place to realize you have been given all you need. It's not in my hand at the moment. I have no idea where it's coming from. I have no idea how it's going to get here. But my God is the giver of all good things, and he's going to supply every need that I have. It may not be every want, but I don't know where it's coming from. But I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to be angry. I'm emotionally in check, and I thank you, God, for all you've done knowing you've already provided. You want to get your emotions in check? Worship. Worship. But he's not answered the prayer yet. Sure he has. You just ain't to the place in time you get to receive it. You're limited by a 24-hour day. God is not. emotions come into check through our worship you want to quit being mad all the time you don't understand where that sourpuss face comes from worship it'll be wiped off your face but what's interesting about this to me Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. But then he said, then you will experience God's peace. Because when I worship with a heart of thanksgiving, when I worship with a heart of gratitude, God, I don't have anything right now that would be any worth of you. But what I have, I give to you. I'm thankful for what you've given me. I simply give it right back to you. When you have that mentality then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
And see, I know that our emotions and our thoughts come back in check when we worship because Paul said his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I need my mind guarded. I know me. I know my battlefield is always right here. Always. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm not old enough. This is done. Why am I even standing here like I? It's always right here. You don't deserve what you've got. You don't deserve the family you've got. You don't deserve the blessings you've got. It's always here. Always. And Paul gives me the answer. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then, will you experience God's peace that's beyond understanding, and His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I can tell. I'm transparent. Sometimes too transparent. But I'll be real with you just like I'd hope you'd be real with me. I can tell in those moments when I'm battling, if I look at where I am in life and I look at just over the course of a week and I I put my heart on a radar and figure out where it's been in my thankfulness and my worship to the Father, Chances are it's not been where it needed to be, and that's why I'm standing on the battlefield in my mind. Because the second that I worship Him, the moment that I just, Father, I need You, You're amazing. I love You, Lord, for Your goodness. I don't deserve You. I'm amazed by who You are. Father, Your grace is more than enough. You've blown my mind, Father, with Your blessings. You've poured out on my life. The moment that I begin to worship Him, my battle is over. That song said a while ago, it said that Jesus, every war you wage, you win. When I worship, it brings everything back in check. We are emotional people. I believe that God wants us to be emotional and our compassion for Him. I believe He wants us to be moved by who He is. But we cannot allow that emotion to overcome who we are. I don't know about you. I sure don't need to give the enemy any more opportunities than he's already got in my life. I need my emotions to come into check. I'm determined that I'm going to love the Lord with all sincerity, everything of who I am, every emotion that I can have, I'm going to do my very best for it to belong to Him. I'm mad. I'm going to be angry, but I'm going to do my best not to sin in that anger, and I'm going to bring it right back in check. 
if I'm beat down, busted up, and disgusted, and I'm in my little pity party, I'm going to do my very best in that moment to realize the goodness of God. I'm going to pray, worry about nothing, tell him what I need. He knows it. You need to know it. Tell him what you need and then thank him for all he's done. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The same soul that you and I are called to love him with. What profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. I'm not going to lose my life, my soul, my emotional being, because I don't worship. Father, I love you. God, I've done my best today to simply be a vessel to deliver this word. I thank you for anointing me and blessing me to make it through this today. I thank you that you've given me the way to put my emotions in check. Father, the answer is so simple. To pray about everything. Worry about nothing. To tell you what I need, Lord, and thank you for all you've done. God, and I know that when I've done those things, your peace will come that is beyond all understanding. And that's the peace that guards my heart and my mind as I live in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in us now, Lord. Touch our hearts, touch our minds. Father, bring us in check. Give us a heart of worship. Father, we love you. God, we give you everything that we are. I thank you, God, that you created us to be emotional people. That life doesn't have to be boring, that it doesn't have to be the same, it doesn't have to get mundane, Father, but you created us to ride this roller coaster of life and to go on this journey with you. God, but I pray today that we would keep our emotions in check, that we would not allow ourselves to be overrun and overcome and overwhelmed by our emotions so that we can't fulfill the purpose that you have for our life. God, I pray that you would remind us, 
Give us the burden to think on things above, not on things of the earth. God, that we remain focused on who you are and who we are in you. God, that we would pray about everything, worry about nothing. We simply tell you what we need and then thank you for all that you've done. Knowing, God, that when we do that, your peace that's beyond all understanding is going to come down on us. Lord, and it's going to guard our hearts and our minds, bringing us to a place where we're in check. Refocusing our attention to you. God, I pray that you allow us to figure out where it is our battles take place. How is it that the enemy comes against us? God, make us aware. Let us pay attention what it is that the enemy uses to distract us, what it is he uses to come in and to pull our focus and our attention away from you. God, when we're prepared, we know how to fight. My worship is my weapon. I thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for this wonderful time we've had together today in your presence. I thank you for your family that you brought together. God, I pray that you bless us today as we go. Be with those that are not able to be here today. God, those that need physical, emotional, spiritual, mental healings from you, Lord, I pray that you bless them. God, keep us and bring us back again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.